Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. I'm Patrick Harrington from Mildly Geeky in Boston. I'm Matt Stein from Pixel and Tonic in Austin. And I'm Michael Rugg from Top Shelf Craft in Houston. And today we have a huge list of people on here, so I'm going to zip through them. We have Fred Carlson from Sanity.io. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> we got Lindsay DiLoretto from Double Secret Agency. How are you doing, Lindsay? Hey, how's it going? Ransom Roberson from Venvio. Hello. And we've got Ben Parizic from Barrel Strength Design. Hello, hello. Josh Crawford from Verb.io. Hey, hey. And we have Gustav Gutmanis, the lead software engineer from Salspace. How are you doing, Gustav? Hi. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> and we also have Kelsey Martins from Salspace. How are you doing? And we don't really know what you do at Salspace, but apparently <laughs> you, you, you work there. And then we have Josh Angel, the client fluffer from Angel & Co. How are you doing, Josh? Oh, hello. That was a nice introduction. Please tell me you have a business card that says client fluffer. <laughs> I wish I did now, but I'm sure I can arrange one. Well, anyway, we, we assembled this plugin developers cabal, and there were a few people that we invited on that unfortunately couldn't make it. We couldn't get <laughs> Ben Croker, and uh, we tried Andre and Matt's and a few others, but we got tons of plugin developers on Only here. get 10 people, yeah. Well, I mean, there's lots of other plugin developers out there, you know? But I wanted to get everyone together because a few years ago, I think it was might have been 2017, 2018, I don't know, it was two or three years ago, we did kind of a, a plugin developers discussion here, and I thought it was really good, and I wanted to do it again and talk to people. Kind of like a before and after kind of thing, because when we were first talking about it, the the plugin store was just coming out and no one really knew kind of where sales were going on this kind of thing. And I mean, I just want to kind of take the temperature in the room from people in terms of how has it met your expectations in terms of how plugin sales have been going for you? I mean, I guess we can we can start with Kelsey, I guess. Are you are you pleased with the way things have been going? Yeah, very. We've noticed an increase in sales. And I don't know if that's because people are being a little more honest or it's just that craft has grown bigger, but we've definitely seen a significant increase in our sales right from the beginning and of course all the way through yeah, I mean, for myself, I've seen there was it's kind of there was a spike in the beginning when everything started, and then it was slow growth from there. Anyone else had experiences with this in terms of you know positive, negative, what whatever they might be in terms of whether plugin sales have met your expectations and whether you feel that it has been a a worthy investment of your time? I guess. I mean, what do you think, Josh? Well, I think a hundred percent. Before I'm, I'm even just trying to think before back to what we did, we used to have to roll our own situation where we'd have to just do. Straight on our own websites to sell our plugins, which was certainly a barrier to be able to sell your stuff. So there's no denying that it's really easy to sell your plugins and do it through the plugin store. Um, yeah, it certainly met our expectations. And I think it's great just seeing more people start putting their own plugins on the plugin store. Yeah, and prior to this, if you wanted to sell anything, you had to kind of roll your own. And, and Lindsay, you were doing that through a provider that something didn't yeah, go it's great. No Is that around. Yeah. Without getting too into the weeds on that one. So uh, that was like a mixed experience. And <clears throat> I mean, ultimately, I was very happy to have a plugin for sale prior mm -hmm. to the plugin store. But the plugin store definitely changed everything. I mean, to just unify the, the experience so everyone knows what they're getting. Everyone has a predictable experience that, you know, I, I think it goes a long way. And I think for the developers, one of the nice things, I don't know if this is going to come up in a few minutes or right now, but uh, renewals. Mm -hmm. 
renewals were kind of a game changer because I don't even think that was possible before. I mean, like it would it would have taken a monumental work. Uh, license enforcement was pretty hard to do before the mm. plugin store. So between that renewals, I mean, like it's been a win all the way around. I mean, we're what like two and a half years into the plugin store, and there's still some work to be done in terms of like ratings and whatnot. But I think it's wholly a success. Yeah, and I think it really took the platform to say no. This is the way it's going to be done. These things are going to be on renewals. You know, so I think that was pretty important. Ben Parizic, what do you what do you think? Has the 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 plugins ecosystem is it met with your expectations in terms of how uh, how everything has been going? Yeah, overall, I think it's a great asset for the craft community. And I before beginning of this, I guess before the plugin store, we had kind of created a way to sell plugins on straight up craft, and mm. that was uh, you know that's no longer necessary. So that's nice. And and even from that experience, you know, it was a lot of work to maintain your own commerce store that's kind of outside of the ecosystem. So I, I very much welcome. Welcome the plugin store. That straight up craft store experience made me welcome paying the commission uh, as a reduction of you know separate work that we need to do around that. And I think my biggest challenge might be a little unique to our plugin ecosystem, but we were able to sell kind of a group of plugins prior to the plugin store, get SEO plugin with a form plugin and a email and reports plugin all together. And that hasn't really been an option on the plugin store. And mm. I feel we we had a good part of our sales was selling plugins as a bundle. So I, I think, you know, we kind of lost the ability to kind of frame things that way. So that's one thing that still kind of comes up in my world. And I think the other thing is uh, Composer has, you know, its fair share of support voice still. And I, I think that's still a, I still think it's a decent solution and and probably the right way to go. I made a bad architectural decision in our own plugins to kind of over rely on it for certain things. And it's definitely been an ongoing thorn that I'm trying to remove from the future <laughs> as much as possible, which I think is kind of embed in the plugin store discussion. Yeah. So you need a mouse to come along and pull the thorn out of the lion's paw, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's uh, the Aesop's fable parable. Yeah. So, I mean, this is actually a good, we might as well just segue into complaints, like we're not even necessarily complaints, but things that we would like to see in the plugin store that are not there. And I'll, I'll start off with mine. I would love for anyone here that has something that they want to contribute on this. Just raise your hand. I'll make sure that I get to you because there's a lot of people here, right? So if you have any complaints or or features or things that you want to see done, let us know. One of the things that I would love to see is I would love the ability to be able to make my plugins free if I wanted them to be for craft solo licenses. And there's no real great way to do that now. And the reason my my logic behind this is that, well, look, if they're not paying for craft, it's a little weird that they're paying for plugins and I would rather them use these things than not. And, and that is functionality that I would love to see in there as well as some functionality to be able to do a little bit more on the marketing side of things. What do you, what do you think, Josh? You have any comments on this or anything else that you want to do? I think that's certainly something that I agree with, but it's not really an issue for me. My my point was more going to be focused around stats. I would love to be able to see information mm, right. about stuff, particularly mm -hmm. because, you know, this pumps into my, my sort of company Stripe account and loads of things go through that. So it's quite hard to get that information back out without a lot of effort. And I did, I did do that at some point in a very bad way and it, it's helpful. And I know that there is a plugin made by one of the Ben's, I think. Yeah, I think uh, Ben has like debt 
plugin sales dashboard. Um, yeah, which was brilliant. But I, it also struck me like well, it didn't need to be a plugin. It could be there in the in the control yes. panel. I, I agree. Um, this totally should be something that <laughs> they implement. So I, yeah. I, I'll be. But I, I don't know if it's still come at some point. Yeah, it's called plugin sales, and it, yeah, it's from Ben Croker. And I don't know if this is still the case, but I know for a very long time I was the only paid customer of this plugin. So. <laughs> So if you really do like it and you really do want to have the stats and that kind of stuff available, buy the plugin, man. We're, well, we're using it as well. That's the best yeah, $49 we ever spent. <laughs> yeah, I really should use it. But but t- the only reason I haven't was I was like, oh, I need to get a site up and running somewhere that mm. can actually run it at, that isn't a client site. So I haven't. Don't you have some kind of a local development site that just is like a junk site that you use yeah, to test plugins on? Exactly. It's a junk site. I keep trashing it. So, oh, uh, I but see. you still you still install though because that's what I did. I installed the plugin sales plugin locally, and so I just use it locally. And I have eternally promised Ben that when I finally launch our new site, I'm going to buy buy it properly. But in the <laughs> meantime, I'm just running it locally and getting all my numbers. And thank you, Ben Croker. I very much appreciate this wonderful plugin you built. Yeah, no, I think it's fantastic. And it sounds like yeah, I did install it once before I trashed my environment, and it was awesome. But um. <laughs> I just haven't got around to doing it again, or in fact, buying it. But I just pay him in beer. <laughs> Did none of you right. run websites on craft that you could install this on? I'm just wondering, temperature of the room. Like, how many people have a craft site in the wild that is well, there? Our current website, spoiler alert, and this is about to change. This is like weeks away from changing. We're is it on WordPress? With, it's a craft two website. Oh, okay. <laughs> It's a craft two website that, you know, I mean, uh, what's the shoemakers kids thing, right? So, yeah. uh, but we're in the process. Well, I mean, within a matter of weeks, like a month tops, we'll have our craft three, our brand new craft three website up and running. And then I'm going to buy Ben's plugin. Well, what about from a technical point of view, Gustav, are there any things that you would really like to see in the plugin ecosystem that are not there? Not really. No, can't think of any. I'll tell you something that I want. Like a long time ago, I made this pluginfactory.io thing. And, you know, it's, I think it works fine. There are some, some modernizations that I would like to see, but something I would really like to see done at some point is something similar to Laravel's Artisan Make, where you could be in any directory inside of your plugin or inside of a craft project. And you could just do something like PHP craft create colon controller. Yeah. So that's like scaffolding, right? Yeah. That's and it would called. read the names. It would figure out where you are in the current directory. And then it would use the namespacing of that. And it would just create the thing that you needed because plugin factory is nice when you're generating the thing the first time. But as we all know, when we're developing plugins, it's usually more iterative. You know, you'll create something and you'd be like, oh, actually I need a console controller or, oh, actually I need this. And it would be nice to have a CLI like that. Very similar to the way the craft has the migrate create function, which is also location aware where it will create like that. That is something I would love. Would anyone else like to see something like that, Fred? Yeah, that'd be cool. Wait a second. Uh, But isn't this not really a plugin store kind of thing? Yeah, it's plugin related. We're on a plugin developers roundtable. Plugin ecosystem. It doesn't, doesn't plugin factory under the hood, the generator kind of do that already. It does, but it's a gross hack. (laughs) <laughs> um, because it was added after the fact. Basically, it saves a, a .craft plugin file, I think, where it retains information about the stuff. So you can use the CLI to add it, but you have to have Yeoman installed on your local yeah. development environment, yeah, which I think yeah. almost nobody does. <laughs> and it would just be much nicer as a CLI command. But I want to get Fred in here. We haven't heard from Norway yet. So what do you got to say, Fred? <laughs> Hello from Norway. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it sounds like <clears throat> Pixel and Tonic should just buy a certain plugin factory. 
I think. Yeah. And the the solution in, in Laravel is it's much more tightly coupled with the framework and just yeah. nicer in general yeah. and much easier to just run with it. And I, I mean, also like to do that with Plugin Factory, you have to remember the arguments for the CLI and yada, yeah. yada. Yeah. And, and that, again, that kind of, so the way that all came about is when I was working on Plugin Factory. So the reason I made it in the first place was I was sick of remembering in Craft 2, if you remember, there were these horrible conventions about it had to be an underscore and this has to be camel case and, you know, whatever. <laughs> if, the, if the naming wasn't right, it just wouldn't work, right? You know how many hours I've lost to that. Oh, Same and, here. I, and, 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 and <laughs> that's why I created it because I'm like, this is dumb. Like, this is something that a computer should do for me. So I first created that as just a way to scaffold the stuff just so I wouldn't have to recreate it. And I created that using the thing called EJS and Yeoman, which at the time was kind of like the thing to use to generate this stuff. And I think it's still fine for doing that. But then I realized that almost no one was going to install Yeoman locally (laughs) and run this, you know, and that's why I created the the front end to it. But then after the fact on that, I added the ability to add the various controllers and stuff later. And you're right, like it's clunky the way that it works. And so I would love to have something more like the way Laravel works. And I actually looked at under the hood how they're doing it. And actually the the generation part of it is actually super simple. Like it's it's not even using a templating language. It's just outputting stuff using echo to a file, which is kind of interesting. But yeah, I, that is something that I would love to see improved because in addition, the another great reason to use Craft, I think, is to the ability to customize it via modules and to be super nice just to be able to add a controller to your module rather than having to regenerate the whole damn thing, you know? I think I part know. of part of that sort of code generation, though, that, that's really missing for me is, and I, I'm not 100% sure if this exists in Laravel because I sort of refuse to, to look at it because I think I'll, I'll like it too much, is, <laughs> is, the, uh, is the ability to, like, generate actual CRUD. Like, the amount yep. of times I sit there and I copy and paste stuff out of, like, the tags controller or something basic that's in the core yep. just to get the basic idea of saving a record and getting it back out again or saving it into the memoizable array system or whatever. And well, I did think, you know that that already exists, Josh? Yeah, so no, I, you- no, I know there's an arrayable it's on the arrayable trait now, isn't it? No, no, no. There is. There exists in the in the Yi ecosystem. There exists something called Gi. G I I. Swear to God. Let me it's write a, this it's a down. Crud, I'm not even kidding. It's a crud generator. So it will generate all of this stuff for you. And actually, it, you spin it up, and you actually get a web interface where you can answer questions in a wizard, and then it will just generate the crud stuff for you. I am going to make a plugin for that. Like I'm because... not even kidding. Well, I look. See, here's the thing, though. <laughs> I looked into into Gi a while ago. Uh, because when I was looking at refactoring plugin factory, I was like, well, you know, maybe I should just leverage this Gi thing to do it. And I don't know, like it, it, it didn't seem wonderful for my purpose, but it, it does have a nice, it's got a model generator. It's got a CRUD generator, a controller generator, a form generator. Like it's got all of these things and you can make your own generator too. It just seemed a little clunky, which is why I didn't end up doing it either way. Had, had anybody here heard of Gi before? <laughs> Uh, no, no, but I mean, clunky is a keyword I would say apply to any of these tools in the Yi ecosystem, sadly. Yeah. And it, it does look clunky from the look yeah. of things. Yeah. yeah. But isn't that funny, though, that we got all these people on here and people are like, I'd never even heard of this thing. You know, the Yi seriously has a marketing problem. But the, you know? this, this, you know, like speaking of Laravel and like possibly craft migrating to Laravel in the future, this is one of the problems, I would say, in the Yi ecosystem. Like one of mm. 
the main reasons I would say to move to Laravel. Like mm. the Yi ecosystem is so bad at marketing. They are very bad at like packaging and I would argue also developer experience that why should we stay really when this is this is all we get. Yeah. I mean does me get don't get me wrong. Like I, I, I like E as a framework. I agree that it's it's good in many ways, but it's still clunky, right? Like to your point yeah. about like copying and pasting as well, we all do it all the time because there isn't really anyone working on like better workflows for, right. for people like us. Yeah, it's like ye or if it were a company, it would be nothing but engineers and there's nobody focused on the developer experience or marketing or any of those other things that are important to making a technology popular and adopted and enjoyable to use, you know? And like enjoyable know. is a it's a feature on its own. Yeah. Say. Like that, that's yeah. why craft is have succeeded so much in like this yeah. really crowded marketplace. In this day and age, like if you don't enjoy the work that you're doing, you just switch to something else that you do enjoy. At least most people that I work with, that's how, that's how they operate. So popular, like you're saying. I was talking with Matt Stein the other day and it was, it was amazing. He actually had a really good point. I couldn't believe it. Hmm. <laughs> no, but he said, he said something like, I feel that these days, if you don't immediately get some kind of enjoyment or interaction out of using something in five minutes that people are just going to move on to the next thing what was your what was your actual quote yeah i think something like that anything that you can't play with yourself within five minutes is is not going to stick that that was yeah that was the whole thought yeah and and i think that that's important that because there are, are so many different things that people could choose from having something that you can just jump in and start using so for instance graphql i really think that graphical ui that they have there was a big part of their success because people can just jump into that playground and start experimenting with it and doing stuff with it. I don't know. I, I think that that is a, a pretty important part of it. But since we're talking to Fred, this is a an interesting conundrum that maybe some people here could weigh in on for us. So Fred, I announced you as working at Sanity.io. Is that correct? Correct. So you are now working for what is sort of a competitor to Craft. They're in the same sphere, but kind of probably not really. But you have the conundrum of, okay, so you are kind of moving out of the Craft ecosystem. And I think you have the record for the most Craft plugins from, <laughs> from any individual developer. I'm pretty sure that's a record that will remain unbroken. And, that, and then we're not talking about, you know, my local development environment. No, no, we don't like, even want to, we don't even no. want to see that. No, yeah. <laughs> no. But what do you do? So, and I would love to hear anyone's input who, who thinks about this. So if you were in the situation where you're hired from another company, where realistically, you're just not going to be able to maintain some of these plugins, what do you do? What's next? So what are you thinking, Fred? Yeah, so so, so on my end, it's, it's, it's a great question. Like, what do you do? And I, you know, I, I, I don't really, it's, it's a hard question to answer. And it's not straightforward, we think, especially having invested so much in the, the, the craft ecosystem. And I, I care a lot. So I, I think I will never, you know, leave it fully. But obviously, I'm shifting my focus on something else that will require a lot of, you know, effort and, and care during the coming years. Yeah, so I, I think, you know, I have a lot of free plugins. And, and to a certain degree, I would maybe look at like getting rid of some of the lesser used ones, the, the ones that aren't obviously useful for a lot of people. But what does that um, mean? What does it mean to get rid of something that's open source? I mean, exactly. So you can't <laughs> really... Get open source? <laughs> I don't even think you can get 
like delete anything from the plugin store. Am I right? Yeah. I you think you even... can. I think you can request them to remove. Oh something. yeah, yeah. But there's no delete button, so I don't think so. No, kind of telling. <laughs> no, so I think maybe I would archive them, uh, and yeah. that will, you know, craft will not show it in the update screen if it's not compatible with future versions. So mm-hmm. at some point, that will probably break. <laughs> Possibly when it moves to Laravel, <laughs> there's no one around to rewrite it again, you know. Fred, yeah, I was going to say, according to Brandon's plans for Craft uh, 4 and moving forward is that, you know, or even just based on Composer itself, if you, if you don't update your plugins for the latest to be compatible with the latest version of Craft, they won't show up in the plugin store. At some yeah. point, they will just stop showing right. up. Exactly. So that's kind of what I'm talking about. So at some point that will hide itself, but there's still like a chance of people being confused, like Googling for something and finding it and then seeing, oh, this is for craft. And then they will be confused when they're not, it's not showing up or it's not working or yeah, that's, that's a problem to, to figure out. That being said, you know, I've, I have been chatting to some people about possibly uh, handing over the responsibility, selling all of them as like a package so someone else that I trust can care is, for it. Is that someone giving you money or are you giving them money? <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I'm not even joking. <laughs> yeah, so that, that someone would give me money. Okay, I would, all right. You know, like there, there, there's, I have some commercial plugins and there's also, and you know, like that. I'm saying, but, I don't mean that as an insult, Fred. I mean, no, that no, it's, no. Kind, it's kind of like someone handing you a baby where you're just like, wow, <laughs> that's really precious. But wow, that's also a lot of work. You know, yeah, 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 exactly. As part of that, do you do you just like end it there and say, you know, enjoy this bag of a thousand plugins, or do you have like a support period where you know you can be available to explain things and transition, or how do you how do you handle that part? Is it a, just a clean break, or do you have a handoff period? I don't know. I don't know. Like I haven't yeah. gotten that far. Like even just valuation of something like that is is hard. What's it worth for to me? What's it worth to the to anyone taking over it? And yeah, those like maintenance. How do you handle that? It, ton of questions. I'm I'm all ears. Anyone? Yeah, let me give you my opinion. So what I would probably do is I would do three things, and I may be missing out on some stuff. But first, I would do what you're talking about in terms of making the GitHub repos, just making them archived so they're read only repos. And then obviously, I would also add deprecated to the title of the the repo so that it's there. It's very obvious that you're using something that is deprecated. And then the other thing, in addition to whatever private channels you're using to look for people to take these things over, you can also add to your composer.json, you can add a script that will then output something whenever someone installs this stuff that will say something like this package is looking for a new owner and that's another way that you could potentially do it because someone at some agency might depend on one of these plugins and they're installing it via the cli they may see this notice that says this is looking for a new owner and who knows they might very well take it over does anyone else have an additional thing that they might do in this case well what about talking to michael because he's done it already all right michael yeah uh... Well, yeah, my... <laughs> Look, I think, I think you in it. You, no, the I, I think I think my experience was was probably unique. For people who don't know, tell us what so, you did. So, so I so I took over some some plugins from Squarebit once upon a time. Would and, you do it again? And I <laughs> well, uh, 
I, knowing, I, knowing what you know now, would you do it again? I would, but I would do it differently. I massively mm. underestimated the amount of support backlog that was mm. changing hands. Any of us could have told you that just from with, being on the outside, but with, with that's like inheriting a group of like an angry mob outside your house, right? Um, it, 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 it kind of it kind of was, and not and not to to disparage the plugins, which were great and well loved the the transaction was very fair but i i massively underestimated the amount of cost that i was going to have mm-hmm. invest just to to get support under control and in my case by the time i had done that i was burnt out and broke on those you know that pocket of my life and and it kind of stagnated after that and i i regret that very much and i think i would do it again but i would do it with a very different preparation mm. um and think it's it's hard to value a software business. You can look at some some amount of sales, you know, the last six months of sales, the last year of sales, the last three years of sales, but like none of the the traditional frameworks for valuing a business really work, especially for something like a plugin, because plugins themselves are so fast moving, the market is so fast moving, and the underlying product crafts API is is so integral to the future of, of any plugin that it's just really hard to to pin down how much value is actually changing hands when one developer gives slash sells a plugin to another. So, so I absolutely would do it. I mean, the reason I did it was to support the customers because the plugins were were widely used and, and well loved. And I think Fred's heart is in the right place too. With he he's built this incredible portfolio of useful things, and there's some aspect of investment that needs to come back for the time that he's put in, right? And there's some aspect of pride deserving to kind of have an identity, your identity attached to to these things that you've created. And and then on the flip side, there's like this is just anybody taking on this portfolio is and, and trying to support all of it into the future is just going to be spread thin it'll be a real challenge um but it's okay so michael fred is a breeder he's created effectively all of these little plugins are his babies they're rabbits man they're rabbits i don't want to accuse fred of doing anything (laughs) anything weird or illicit so i'm not going to go there but what (laughs) but what advice would you have michael for fred specifically like okay so probably he should bucket his plugins into different categories of things that he thinks are worth continuing on probably most of the paid ones would be in that bucket and then things he wants to get rid of completely, and then things that are in the middle where if someone picked them up, he could do something with them, like start bucketing them, I think would be a good start. But what other specific advice, Michael, would you have for for Fred? And Fred, if you have any questions for Michael, because he's done it, like what, what would you tell him to do? I mean, I think be be realistic is is the only advice that I feel qualified to give anybody. And and what I mean by that is realistic in what you need to do to really support customers who are depending on your stuff and what the future looks like for them with you know with you moving on to to greener pastures. But also realistic about do certain plugins need to have a life beyond their their current state and how has the market shifted and how is craft as a product shifting and what little niche things you know did 
did you make in a pinch that there probably would not be a lot of, of point to building an audience in craft for for that particular thing, right? Like being oh, real okay. estate goes goes but, both ways and you just have to to give it a good think. Okay, but the, let's get him some specific advice. So the plugins that he thinks he wants to get rid of, what does he do to get rid of them? Does he just, you know, take them out back and, and shoot them in the head? I mean, what are we, what are we talking about here? What exactly does yeah, that I mean? mean from- you put a deprecation note on the repo and on the package and you say this package is abandoned and it is not going to be supported in craft four and mm-hmm. you know thanks for your support live long and prosper but, yeah, you, and but you, you just can't be romantic about it in, in either direction and i think you need the deprecation notice in composer too right when you're installing it and we've all seen that where there are notices right. coming up that saying these packages are seeking funding well you can also put notices up saying this package is deprecated don't use this thing anymore i mean in the craft two to three transition, we also saw that CraftNet was was kind of helping with that, right? The the list of Craft3 ready plugins that showed up in the Craft2 update screen, and you could pull request against CraftNet and put little notes on your plugins, like this plugin is in development, this plugin is not being developed for Craft3, this plugin is being replaced by such and such, this plugin is no longer needed because Craft incorporated the code, like whatever it is, like you could give kind of helpful notes to, to your users users and now in in composer you can do the same thing how how you do it doesn't really matter as much as the fact that you communicate somehow to your customers what your intent is and give them the chance to deal with the situation however they will i think how you do it matters i think you have to be more explicit than you might think you need to be and the the reason is like so i at some point deprecated all of my craft 2 plugins and at first i was very mild in the phrasing and i was getting tons of people like still filing support issues still confusing one repo with the with the other and all that kind of stuff you know you I'm, know what I'm i mean not, matt yeah i do but i'm not saying how doesn't matter i'm not okay. i'm not saying that's irrelevant i'm just saying the thing that matters most is that you clearly communicate whatever method you choose you clearly communicate your intent and what you're describing is a lack of clarity not so much the method that you chose to i think the part that confused me is where you said it doesn't matter how you do it i think is i'm uh, i'm <laughs> i'm going in circles i'm saying the, the medium know, that you choose you doesn't, matter it doesn't matter which channel i know i'm Thank just you. giving him grief uh, i understand somebody else go <laughs> <laughs> How many people have you turned down to update the Craft 2 version for them? Are you talking to me, Ransom? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I have had some people write to me, but uh, I'm not going to say that any of the plugins are, are necessarily bug free, but there haven't been really that many people that have written in and said, hey, you know, this thing doesn't work. I guess part of it, the I guess part of the reason is just I was very clear eventually in labeling all of these things as deprecated and they are all open source. So if someone really wants to, they can just fork it and fix it, you know, and Ransom, I was actually going to come to you next because you're working at an agency and you may or may not be using a number of Fred's plugins. I want to call him Carl just for historical reasons. Yeah, you're, you're using a bunch of Carl's plugins. How would you feel about what? that if he puts deprecation notices on everything? You know, what, what, where would you want to go with it? And would your agency ever adopt one of these things maybe? So yeah, we've had we've had certain scenarios like this before. And uh, as the, the lead, I've try to push us away from using a lot of plugins that kind of meet this criteria that in my head where like, I I don't ever want to use plugins that are really reliant on their content structures Mm -hmm. because it, it really scares me. Or things that plugins that I want to use on every site, like a good example is like a redirect plugin. That's something that I just, I know I'm going to need it 
forever. And I'm always going to want it to work the way I want it to work. So I just, we just have our own. I don't have to worry about it. But there are some. And generally, if they're important enough, I would just fork it and have our own internal version. Because I, I was, we have no interest in owning plugins, really. I mean, it's just not worth the time. Our Most of our clients don't even really know what a plugin is. Right. So it would be a huge pivot to go and start doing something with plugins. Yeah, um, that's what I was going to say is from your perspective, it probably would be better and safer to just fork the repo, make whatever fix you needed and just keep it on the download like that. You know, yeah, because then you you get the fix, but you don't have to support this thing and have other people deal with it. I don't want to I don't want to like step on the plugin developers toes. You know, there are redirect plugins out there by some people, and uh, I don't want to compete with that. It's not my interest. Um, It's not in our interest as a company generally. and, And all of this discussion, actually especially the discussion about what is going to happen with supporting these plugins from Fred brings me back to an opinion that I've had about software, especially this kind of software for a very long time, which is that although we are sort of in the product business, I think we're more in the support business. So from my perspective, I think there are a lot of people that buy my plugins because they know if something doesn't work, I'm going to be there to help them try and fix it. And I don't know about anyone else, but I would say a good 80, 90% of the support that I do don't end up being bugs in my plugins. They're like usage things. There are things that people are not understanding about how to do something with them or just plain, they don't know how responsive images work or, or something like that. You know, So I find that a lot of what I do ends up being support. Is Does anyone else have that same mentality here in terms of you're really in the the support business, Kelsey? Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I mean, I that's one great thing about having renewals too is that it allows us to, you know, offset our support costs in the long term and mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I mean it's very few support requests or bugs. The vast majority of them are implementation issues. And my God, some of these things are like rat's nests of that they're trying to do <laughs> all kinds of ridiculous stuff. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's neat because sometimes that helps us, I guess, steer our development. We, when we see people doing certain kinds of things, we realize, okay, let's, let's see if we can make that actually a, a feature, let's say in free form or whatever. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, it, it, and that's, I think, one of the other things is, you know, our pricing of our products, we've priced it a little bit higher maybe than a lot of others do. But with that, we don't let any support fall through the cracks. We're we're on top of that. And I think anyone using our support is typically pleased with with it. But yeah, I mean, it, it support is definitely the, anytime we build something, it's always the number one idea. The number one consideration is always how much support is this going to add? You know, this is a mm-hmm. complicated feature. Should we build it? Is there a way to make it intuitive so that we don't have to be spending hours every day trying to teach people? And obviously we're happy to do that, but but I mean, the more intuitive a product can be or the less confusing features it can have, the, the better it'll be for us for support. But yeah, definitely support is uh, very, very important to consider when in any of these scenarios, when you're building software, adding new features, taking over a product, handing off a product. And how do you handle that, Kelsey, in terms of when you have someone who's they've purchased Freeform or Calendar or whatever, and you're getting what... It starts off looking like a support ticket, but very clearly you realize they just need help setting up their form and, you know, how do I get into Twig? And do you say, okay, yeah, we can help you with that, but it's, you know, 
it's at our consulting rate or is there a certain amount of help that you'll give it you know how do you manage that yeah so i think we we've we've tried to tackle it i think in multiple ways we've built more and more guides as we hear more and more people asking the same kind of stuff so we're it's, mm-hmm. we're not trying to teach the same thing over and over again we can just send a link to a guide we also i mean yeah our support is we can't help someone build their whole website somewhere in there is a line where it's like this is a little too much but yeah it's a matter of how do you how do you go about that what we do is we have a premium support feature where people can basically if they need something that kind of goes beyond our typical support request or they're getting a little too in-depth with it um, they can subscribe to a, a paid support option where we will do whatever it takes we will once they're paying for the support individually we'll hop on a call with them we'll spend four hours with them whatever it is and and walk them through it and interestingly enough a lot of people have been very very receptive to it we weren't sure mm-hmm. if people would be grumbling about it or what but a lot of people they just find themselves in a pinch where they're they need something dealt with and when they can get direct access to the developer and figure out things really quickly it ends up being more worth their while to do that yeah, because let's be honest, that's the reason why most people are using plugins or using a CMS or using any of these kind of platform things to begin with is that they are in some kind of a crunch. So they do need a certain amount of the stuff done for them. So it totally makes sense if it would be part of the support budget if it's just easier for them to produce the thing. <laughs> and <laughs> and we would gladly one, pay for it. You know? One other thing I was going to add to that was that when you were asking about plugin store requests, ideas to... to I, I had hoped that we could do some sort of support model, mm. whether it's through misusing the additions feature or whatever. <laughs> and I know that that's currently not possible. I know that I've talked to Brandon Kelly and he's specifically mentioned that he doesn't at this time want to handle that. And it makes sense. I, I get it. It's more of a edge case, I guess, probably in what people are asking right now. But but yeah, we would love to be able to have have someone be able to go right through their plugin store and purchase some sort of premium support or a higher up addition that re- allows them to get a block of support time or whatever. Yeah. So Patrick, for what it's worth, the way that I approach this stuff is I, I just try to help everybody, right? So if someone has a question, even if it probably doesn't end up having anything to do with the plugin, which a lot of them are that way, I still try to help them with it, you know, in terms of giving them something. Obviously, if it translates into a ridiculous amount of time, then at some point you have to say, okay, you know, look, this is not really a problem with the plugin. You know, here are some resources you might want to read, you know, that kind of thing. I try to look at it from the aggregate point of view that this person that I'm helping with on this particular project, they may have bought this plugin a number of times for a number of other pl- projects. And it's only this one that they need this kind of additional help with or support with, even if it doesn't have anything to do with the the plugin itself. So I I think from a a value proposition, the way that I come at it is that I think people are, when they're buying a plugin, they're also buying it. They're kind of buying me in a way. Mm -hmm. And I want them to be confident in in doing that because we've all been there. Like everyone here has been a, a web developer and they've been there when they're trying to build a website and they go to an NPM package and they look at it and it says last updated four years ago. And then it just says chill just runs down your spine <laughs> and you're like, holy crap, you know, should I actually use this thing? And I just think that that is a big part of what factors into it. I mean, Josh Crawford, do you, do you have any opinions on this? Because I see you always being really active in in working with customers on on questions and that type of thing. Yeah, I think it's really similar to what 
you sort of just said is that you sort of have to look at the bigger picture sometimes. There's obviously a line you've got to draw with yeah. like, you know, if somebody starts to say, oh, how do I output entries on a craft site? It's like, well, it's not part of strictly what, you know, <laughs> the navigation plugin, for instance, does. So uh, there, there's definitely a line. But yeah, you, I, I think as much as you can to your ability and your time and the effort you need to put into it to just help people. And I, I mean, it's probably a little bit easier for you, Andrew, because you, you do that anyway through stalking every discord um, question that everyone seems to ask you and stalking <laughs> really stalking yeah yeah you just you just all stalking. you do is okay. you just sit there you, you make it you place. make it seem like i'm parked out of their house at midnight or something that's it that's just how helpful you are okay um, and, usually and you're, stalking and, you're, and helpful doesn't go together though i'm just saying <laughs> that's it but no no that's that that's it. it it really is the support business and just trying to be as helpful as you can i suppose going back to the plugin store and just hearing um you know hearing you talk about knowing who your customers are as someone who's bought you know dozens of my plugins is there any desire there to have a better handle on you know not just how many installs i have or how much revenue is coming in but who are my customers or getting information to that so you could then plug into a crm and when someone does come to you for support you're like oh this person's you know been a great customer and, and help with tracking that is there any interest in well, that I, for- I was also going to just um, chime in with that is is that support at the moment it's it's like for me and verb it's it's very lax where you know somebody sub- submits a, a github issue uh, i'll help them or if they send us an email directly you know i'll give them a hand but um, i'm actually not checking you know if they purchased a license or or if their renewals aren't. It's really just an honor system. And I suppose that's open to abuse and whatever. And that sort of also ties into technically people can run plugins without purchasing them on craft mm-hmm. sites. And I don't really know about it. But really, you know, I think all of us are just sort of taking a leaf out of Excellent Tonic's book with craft itself that, yeah, there really is that level of trust with everyone out there. But it it would uh, be really neat to see, I think I think Kelsey mentioned it, as some sort of level of support or some way to facilitate support through the plugin store, which ties into licenses and all that stuff. Yeah. And I do the same thing. I don't even check, right? Because at some point, first of all, I just don't feel like the work it takes to actually go look it up. I just don't feel like doing that because it's not always clear because sometimes the license will be coming from the developer. Sometimes the client will buy it and there's not really a clear, easy way to then look it up. But even if there was at some point, like this could be a potential customer, you know what I mean? Like they would be perfectly willing to buy it and you don't want to interrogate them and and do that kind of thing. You know, What, what do you think, Josh Angel? Yeah, I mean, I'm... I'm in an interesting position because I I seem to get quite a lot of support requests for one plugin. And it for me, the struggle is weighing up the amount of support it requires versus the amount of money it generates. Mm-hmm. Because I'm massively strapped for time for a whole host of reasons. And 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 there's there's months that go by I really regret selling plugins because mm. the because I feel like I can't do those customers, which they are, justice. I can't mm. I can't field all of their requests. Um I can't hire someone to deal with it because it doesn't earn enough money to do that. And I can't, you know, work on features as fast as the customer base would like. So it's not like the demand isn't there. You know, the customers that I have that are like, can you do this? Can you do that? But it, for me, the real the real difficulty comes down to sort of like viability and revenue. And I feel with my one sort of viable plugin that I've allowed myself to release is 
is that there's there's a sort of funny gap that I've not personally quite got out of where it's not hugely viable to field all the support requests that are there. You have to sort of make a loss on that. But as a result of doing that, you lose any potential development time of building the plugin up to get more revenue to make it more viable. So um, I'm interested, and the reason I raised my hand um, really in what other people's experiences are of that gap and when and when they sort of went over it. You know, for full clarity, I I make precisely five hundred pounds a month from my plugin spoon, and that is a day's worth of time. Right. Um, and I do typically spend a day a month on it and frequently end up spending more than that. Um, And a lot of that time, as you're saying, you know, well over half that time is spent dealing with support tickets. Mm -hmm. Um, Now I want to know more about the active installs number on the plugins craft store. (laughs) Right. You have 3,000 installs. You haven't made $200,000? I know. I don't. I don't. I don't look at that number anymore because it, <laughs> it, it annoys me. It annoys me intensely. Um, I just look I mean, at what comes into Stripe. <laughs> like Josh, to your point, I think that being a plugin developer for profit is is very much playing a long game. And when I say long game, I mean years and years. All the investment that you've put into Spoon and your other plugins to this point has maybe you're at like a break even point in terms of hours you've spent on development and support versus the amount of money you made. And that might be true for now, but over time, over the course of several years, it's going to shift more and more in your favor, especially as renewals are a big part of this, right? So more and more sales as the craft community grows. And then we need to talk about renewals. You know, I mean, you basically are planting seeds and then you have to watch them grow for years and years and years. And if you have the patience to do that, it can be really rewarding. But I mean, it most plugins probably take years to kind of break even even. Yeah. I mean, I love you, Lindsay, because you're you're just extremely encouraging <laughs> always. Um, <laughs> and you've often encouraged me in the past. But um, but I think, yeah, I mean, Spoon itself is a bit of a unique situation because I built it when I was at an agency and that was years ago, year, like many years ago, five or something years ago. And, and so in one sense, it was not a standing start. You know, I had to port it to Craft 3 and then, then I started getting money from it. But I think I'm I'm hesitant. I've got I've got at least three plugins that I would love to release, and I'm I'm hesitant to do the investment in making them release worthy in the sense of doc, you know clear documentation and making support time available purely because I just feel a bit scared that it's going to explode and and all the support tickets are going to come in and it's not going to pay itself off. So I think I think that's what I'm I'm sort of looking at is going well well where like, how much of a leap is it? Do you have to have so many days a month runway of time available to keep reinvesting in it until it starts to to come back and i guess i guess i feel a little bit like this is generally a business question but this seems to Mm. be like a weird business market it doesn't behave like other markets and i think i keep sort of no just sort of going no just keep sit still sit still a bit longer keep watching keep seeing what happens because josh i I would look at this from the point of view that you know something that is generating 500 pounds a month you know maybe 800 us dollars something like that i mean that's that's hobbyist territory you know what i mean in terms of like, like you said, that's like a day. And I would look at either ways that that could be subsidized. If you had clients that needed custom work to be done on it, they needed a particular thing, then they could pay you to to work on that. Or I would try to look at features that I could add to it that could potentially boost the sales of it. But at, at least from my perspective, that is kind of a sticky position to be in because you do have people that are paying for it. So you do have an obligation to these people. But then again, you're also not making that much money from it. 
you know? Mm, correct. And, and, so, and in some cases, I've been really honest with people, you know, through private channels in particular, and said, look, I'm, re- I'm really sorry. I, I would love to help you further or implement your feature, but I, I genuinely don't make enough money off it. Would you like a refund? Right. Um, and, and I'll be honest, no one's actually taken me up on that because right. obviously they therefore get enough out of it that it's worth $59 or whatever it is. And I, and I think to come on to one of your other points, I genuinely think for me, again, it's an interesting case because it's one plugin and it does one very specific thing that one day will get baked into craft. And I can. Well, they all, everything will eventually probably get baked into craft. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I mean, I've, I've talked to Brandon about it before and, and occasionally he sort of said, yeah, in, in, in this particular version, maybe. But yeah, I mean, the other plugins I've got, one of, one of the things I've done with it, which I, I feel like as a change for me is I've I've built a few plugins now over time that have been requested by clients and I've built them for building the plugin mm-hmm. at the same time telling them I'm I want to retain yep. you know the intellectual property on this and I'm going to resell it possibly at a future date and then that's done what that I a always few do times. too yep. yeah I've, and and that's actually and that's actually been going really well um I guess I guess I'm looking at the the next stage of that and going well I've got a couple of plugins now that that have matured they've sat on sites for a while they've run well is it worth dumping them in the plugin store? And I guess mm-hmm. that's my that's my next question for, for myself, really, more than anything. I, I mean, I think it would have to be something that is broadly desirable enough that it's going to be worth it to you. And I know that that's a tough thing to determine, but I, you know, I would almost err on the side of not releasing stuff publicly unless you were fairly certain that it was something that could do relatively well. Because you know, as we're hearing from everyone here the kind of burden of having created this thing and especially having asked for money of the, for this thing, you really have to keep that in mind, you know? And there are definitely plugins that, that I've done where retrospectively I'm like, you know what? I should just make this free, <laughs> you know? Unfortunately, even if you make it free or even if you give people a refund, that still isn't really satisfying to them, right? Because they, they still have a project they're working on and they still were using this thing and it's still not working. I mean, I, I think it does absolve you a little bit from it, but I'd be interested to get then pre in here because you've been kind of hibernating here and I want to hear your thoughts on on all of this Ben well I think you all are wise and I also agree with the air on the side of don't do too much I, I think it's code it comes with code debt and every independent decision you make over time seems reasonable but then unless you're really going all in on these plugins like Josh described it's not really a business model in and of itself it's you know I and I think others have said here as well you know don't ransom was saying don't over recommend even using plugins on sites and as much as I'm proud of our plugins and and what we're trying to do with them, I often tell clients, like, we want to avoid these things as much as possible, you know, across the board, everybody's plugins, like these are all, you know, people I like in the community, but just don't trust plugins. They don't run like Pixel and Tonic. Pixel and Tonic is a team of software developers, and most plugins are agencies and hobbyists who have, you know, only so much time. There's a few, there's a few plugin developers out there that have, you know, soul space here and, uh, Josh's company. I'm not pulling it up, Josh, <laughs> but I, I don't even know how many plugin developers you have on your team aside from you. So I, I think even the people with teams, it's one or two people at most that is really behind the code. And, you know, with the risk of 
craft changing the framework on you and breaking changes on minor releases. There's a lot of uh, code debt that comes with releasing anything here and your trust in whoever is making their 500 bucks a month uh, to care enough to update to the next thing. Right. And I think that that raises a, a lot of issues in terms of I just think that in general, it's better to focus on one or two things and try to do them really, really well, Mm -hmm. rather than trying to have a whole number of things and try to do, you know, try to just keep everything juggling in the air, you know? And it's something that I've seen over the years in lots of different spheres of software where people will come out with a product, it'll do well, and they'll be like, I'm a genius, I'm going to go make a whole bunch more products, and they don't get the same success out of it. And what you really need to do is you need to focus on what's working, eliminate all the distractions and double down on the stuff that is doing really well. Mm-hmm. Which totally I think... agree. I'm going to say that I share Josh uh, Angel's uh, conundrum, basically, mm. where you you want to like do well by your plugins and like you want them to grow. But at yep. the same time, you don't have the like you, you're not earning enough. And uh, in combination with like other obligations, clients, your life, etc. It's just so hard and you get caught between those two. And, the, the, you know, that's been my main lessons uh, from these mm. five years with the and with the upgrade from craft two to craft three. Right. Like it's it's. It's one of the main lessons. And and to your point, uh, knowing what I know now, if I could go back, I would have done what you did, just focused on like one thing at mm-hmm. a time and made it yeah. like really well and put in the effort and like, especially documentation and, yep. and yeah, whatever. I, I think all this stuff matters. And I think that, so I, I, as a plugin developer, I make enough income from the plugin store. I could do nothing else. If that's what I wanted to do. And I assume that Solspace, obviously, they do a whole lot more. They're a bigger company and, and Verb is a, a bigger company. But I think they are getting a decent bit of revenue from their plugins. I don't know, right? Because I don't have access to any of this stuff. But I'm just assuming that they're doing pretty well. So I think that if you, it's a combination of finding the right thing and then focusing on that thing rather than getting distracted with a, a whole bunch of other stuff. You know, critical part of that being learning to identify distractions because it's it's fun (laughs) to have ideas. And it's like like Josh was just saying, like uh, having plugins, but being able to tell what was a really good idea from something that may be a distraction. I think the whole thing is being able to discern what matters and you're only going to get there from experience and these kinds of conversations and specifically learning from them. I think that's the hard part, at least for me. So I do. I guess my point in that is I think the ecosystem is there. And I do think that it is nice. And I think that livings can be earned, but I think you have to do the work of identifying a niche, of doing a really good job at that, and then also proving that you're going to be there to support this thing and to help people out with it. Because I think that matters more than anything else. Like when I look at plugins to buy for sites that I'm working on, I care a whole lot about the history of the person who is maintaining this thing. Like that makes a big difference to me. But this actually spins it off into something kind of related that I have looked at some of these other ecosystems. Like I've looked at Gatsby. I thought Gatsby was pretty cool. I thought Sanity.io that Fred is working at. I think that looks really cool. But there's no third-party ecosystem that I can discern in any of these things. What do you think about that, Fred? I mean, you're working there now. Like, I, I just feel like a lot of these, especially the JavaScript-oriented things, there doesn't seem to be any monetizing of any kind of a, an ecosystem to go alongside of it. Well, it's it's hard to say, but just speaking for sanity in my perspective, uh, yeah. it's certainly it's like my experience from the craft ecosystem. That's something I, I'm bringing to the table at sanity. 
I think mm. it's one of the yeah. things I'm excited to see what we can do with. And in Sanity, there, there's like a key focus on the community. So yep. it totally makes sense to to improve on that. There, there, there already is like plugins, mar- like a plugins listings uh, thing on the website, but yeah, there's listing. so much more. Yeah, exactly. But there's so yeah. much, much, much more we can do there. So well, I had that I had that talk with Newt a long time ago about yeah. sanity, and and we had some offline talks about it too. And I was just like, look, man, I would love to get involved with sanity because I think you're doing some really cool stuff. But there's nowhere for me to make money in this ecosystem. Like it just doesn't exist other than A, working for you or B, just using your product to build client sites. Like there's no third party ecosystem. And I have mentioned this before, but it wasn't until Apple opened up the iPhone and and brought plugin developers in and created that whole ecosystem around it that the iPhone really exploded. You know, so I would, I'm kind of frustrated at some of these technologies that I think are really awesome, but no way they're not really offering that kind of place for an ecosystem to flourish. Whereas WordPress, for all the crap we give it, they've got an amazing plugin ecosystem. Craft has got a plugin ecosystem. Statamic has a plugin ecosystem. You know, it just seems crazy to me that uh, some of these other services don't have that. Yeah, but I mean, like, again, speaking just from Santi's point of view, I, th- I I do think it's flourishing well on its own, even if there isn't plugins. There, There's like a ton of developers that really love it and are able to do really nice things and in an effective way, even if they have to write more code on their own. So right. it's hard to no, say. No. But anyway, like I'm I'm all for doing more there. And I'm not uh, saying the I plugins hope, ecosystem yeah. doesn't exist. Like I know it, like it's really yeah. it's really cool the stuff you can do. But that either has to be funded out of you just wanting to do it just because you want to do it, or a client paying you to do it. There's no way you can create a product or a service that goes along with it. And I would love to see that. I would love to see that kind of flourish around some of these things. And I think that, you know, you are in a really good position there to talk to them and be like, look, this is a way we can raise all boats here, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So uh, that's one of the things, you know, that excites me. And, you know, I just started. So it's early days. Um, Well, we expect you to ship the the store tomorrow, Fred. Exactly. I will ship it tomorrow. Yeah. No, no. But Ben no, Prizik, no. you wanted to jump in here. You had something you wanted to react to what I was just saying. I, I, I think the pointing out the network effect of something like the plugin store is important here, and I, I think even the way Craft started, it kind of started out of another CMS community with a network of developers that were already largely fans of Pixel and Tonic's plugins. So, you know, if, if it was just a CMS company to start from scratch, they would have had to build that community and that ecosystem. And, and I think they, they benefit a lot kind of basically introducing a product to an existing community and, and realizing the flaws in that the way that other community wasn't developing. And then over time, sometimes slower than we'd like, kind of getting getting these network relevant things in the hands of the first party. And, and something like the plugin store in the hands of the first party is just essential. There's just no way to do that as a third party option and have the trust of the community, especially the larger businesses uh, who decide to work with the platform. And you see them doing that now with the professional network and potentially cloud offerings or something, but really kind of asking that question of what should be first party and what helps us build the net what 
should be first party to be the center of that network that people are rallying around to support the product. Yeah, one thing I mean, and I think it's funny, Josh, you know, you're saying I have plugins that I think I could put out there, but I'm afraid like, what if they take off? That's so frustrating that, you know, you're afraid of being successful because I think we've seen no, no. It before an expression. He's afraid of the support, not the success. Well, exactly. No, exactly. Yeah. Well, that, that's Definitely the support. Right. You're, you're afraid. And we've seen it with Expression Engine where people either weren't getting paid for licenses and, you know, I'd love to know more about, I've talked before that I feel like Pixel and Tonic needs to police people who are running plugins without a license a bit more right now it's very easy to look past the nag bar i agree man i had someone i gotta i know you got more to say on this but i had someone write me i had a i think he was a cto from a company and he wrote to me and he said hey the developer of our website said that the plugin will operate whether we buy a license or not is that (laughs) is that correct you know i remember i think you aired this one on discord and say like how do i respond (laughs) yeah so This kind of thing is is a thing, and I you know I was I am like the the old goat of all this stuff because I was doing this kind of thing back when it was just called shareware, mm-hmm. and there was a huge jump in sales when we moved from a model of just pay us if you want to and it'll remove the nag notice to this product is crippled or doesn't work fully until you buy the license code. Like yep. it it doesn't reflect well on human nature, maybe, but there was a big jump in sales when we did it. So go ahead, continue with your point. Yeah, right. I mean. You look at, you know, you go on a shopping website and you get a big modal that takes over the entire window. There's nothing more annoying. Can you imagine if every time you logged into the back end, maybe on your first session, it put up a big giant, you are running three, you know, unpaid for plugins or however, I guess it's something where if you pay for a year, but then you don't want support after, maybe you don't want to penalize people at that point. But there are plenty of people that have a plugin running that's never had a license. The license never has been paid for. And to Even your then, point, Patrick, there's a, there's a website that you and I and someone else we know that are all friends have worked on and they're still the, the plugins there haven't been paid for yep you yep know? the other point part too is that it's it's difficult i think to uh, on the plugin store i mean even, even to pay for craft i was about to complain that you can't buy craft on the plugin store you can it's just buried way down at the bottom and hard to find craftcms.com doesn't even link to it so it just says upgrade an app you, know, you, you go to statomic you have a nice link right on the page it says here you go 259 and you're, you're on your way to paying for statomic with with craft if, if you're on the craft site it just says upgrade an app they, they could link over to whatever it is um, there's a link on the plugin store where you could pay and get your license key and i've come across this one on a couple of recent builds we've gotten a lot better at disallowing admin changes and using project config and all that and once you've mm-hmm. set up craft the right way now it says oh you know hey you should pay for craft but you can only do it in an environment where you can make changes and now i've got yeah. to explain to them okay and actually i didn't even know about this magic buy craft link that's not on their website craft commerce doesn't have a link to buy commerce there's just i'd love to see Pixel Tonic, you know, look at you're running an e-commerce business in some ways. Yep. How do we optimize for making it easy for people to buy craft, to buy I, commerce? I second that. Yep. Yeah, I to buy plugins. When you, when you go to the plugin page, there is no buy button on that first above the fold section. You have to scroll all the way down. But if you go too far down, now you're at the change logs and you got to go up a little bit. There should be a buy button when you first hit that page. So if all these wonderful plugin developers we have are linking off to the plugin store, the next page has a very easy place for people to click buy. Yeah. And this is a problem um, that, that they... I should be up in the header. 
Yeah. Yep. Yep. For and, sure. and let me one more point. And then when you click on that, it says, okay, do you want to buy it for a single year, two years, three years, four years, five years? There is no set it and forget it. Hey, I want, I, I'm, I want this plugin, keep me renewed. You yep. have to then go into, I think, ID.craftCMS and find your plugin, go into another page and let it set it for auto renew. Yeah, maybe it's because they're such nice people that Pixel and Tonic couldn't run a, a gym membership because right. you need to be able to give people easy <laughs> ways to say, I want to give you money. I don't want this thing to expire. Just yep. let it re-renew for me. Um, and yeah, right it now, would, it's really difficult to do that. It would be like subscribing to a magazine. Yeah, and, yeah. And, I mean, and, you and saw every it month. When, you saw every- it with... The, with the SEOmatic issue yeah. a few years back, um, you had a massive amount of people finally renew for the first time yeah. once they needed those support updates. I bet a large percentage of those people, if that was the default option, like you know, you know, basically set me up for subscription, I'll, I'll pay you know ninety nine now and then whatever it is forty nine a year from now, they would have just left that checked so that it's one less thing they have to worry about. But instead, they had to go and log in id.craftcms and figure all that out when they have a problem. Um, I think part of this is Pixel and Tonic is to quote unquote blame or whatever, because I agree with you. If I'm buying something that is subscription based and we agree that best practices are that you keep things updated, don't don't make it hard for the thing to auto renew. Like it should be the default that it just renews and they can turn it off at point of purchase if they want to. But by default, it should be, I think it should be billing for renewals and not because I'm greedy and because I want all the money, but because it's something that should be done. These plugins should be updated. It's something and part of the blame there, I think may fall on the developers that make the site that they don't have a maintenance contract. And as part of that, you know, build in all of these plugin updates. But I'm with you. Like a lot of times you want it to be built to the client and you want to just set it up and you want it to just auto renew and by default it should just happen. And a lot of times you'll have a non-technical person or someone who doesn't know craft as well mm-hmm. that is the one that is actually purchasing it and they're not going to know to you know what what they should be doing here. It should by default should be doing the best practices thing. And I don't know, I kind of feel the same way about the project config issue that you mentioned about buying plugins because if you adopt best practices and use project config and disallow admin changes, the plugin store becomes kind of unusable. Yep. yep. Yeah, it's <laughs> which, only usable in my little Docker instance and I can't give a client access to that. Yeah. Which which is crazy because a lot of times you do have clients that you really want them to be the ones buying it. You want you really want the billing to be going to them and there's no way for them to own that. So I yeah, agree yeah. with you. Like that I think should train, be there's, there's, there's a big aspect that is just training your customers, whether it's your end user client customers or your site developer customers, the craft community. And I'm not talking about anybody here or even really Pixel and Tonic, but the broader community of developers is still breaking old habits, uh, old bad habits from like the expression engine days and and kind of some of the, the marketplace toxicity that, are, that arose years ago. And we're still breaking those habits in terms of like training people to do the right thing. But they should but, be doing the right thing but, by default but, is the problem. I, I agree with you that I think there's a lot of opportunities and I know that a lot of these are on PT's list, but I think there's a lot of opportunities to remove friction from the process of buying craft, buying plugins, renewing. I personally would love to see in in the way that a really well done magic login link can remove friction in a in a lot of app experiences, I would love for there to be to divorce the an individual license from the whole rigmarole of craft ID, of logins, of whatever. I would love if I could just hit a 
license link, a license specific link, plug in my credit card, that license is paid for. And and if I need to do anything with it later, then I can, you know, log in through my craft and saw, I can log into my craft to do or whatever. Don't make me log in to give you money. I should be able to send a license specific link, whether that's craft or a plugin to my client and say, pay for this. Yes. And and it'll show up later in the right place and it'll do all the right things, but you don't have to worry about that right now. You just have to follow this link and pay for it. Or even, uh, or even you, you can say, okay, pay for this. They're going to email you a license key, forward me that, and I'll take care of the rest. Um, no, it, it should be yeah. even more automated than that. I agree with Michael. Like One of the things we learned many, many years ago is you want to make it as easy as possible for people to pay, right? And you also just, if you're running a business, we're not talking about being greedy, but you don't want to leave money on the table. And I think Pixel and Tonic could be making more money if they were a little bit more forward about these renewals, both for craft and for plugins. And that would be a good thing because if they're making more money, they would no longer be this smaller team that wouldn't be able to not get to a lot of the the issues that we want them to get to, you know, whether it's plugin store or not. And also if there were auto renewals on these things and if it were easier to buy stuff and if the licenses were enforced more, I mean, who knows? Maybe Josh Angel would be making enough money that it would actually be worth his while to spend the time working on this plugin. Yeah, and then, and I think then everyone well, benefits, yeah. you know? And, and for Josh, I mean, I think one thing too is that getting good at just not feeling like everyone who's ever given you $59 for Spoon is now owed yes. hours of support. Like, take it as an opportunity and, you know, look at the support request. Say, okay, is this a bug? Does this look like there's something that's breaking with, you know, a stock craft install or a, there's a PHP error, there's a JavaScript error, they're giving me an honest to goodness bug? Or are they saying, hey, I'm having trouble using this? And if this yeah. latter say, you know, have a form email that says, hey, we can see you're having some problems integrating, we're happy to help you set it up. We have this price for a half day of support. And hopefully then soon you're going from fretting over only $500 a month and spending a lot of time on support to you know, $500 a month and I'm billing 20 hours a week from people who need yeah. help. Or maybe it's just 10 hours a week, but you know, something that that ends up the the actual license fees are then a feeder into people seeing you as someone they can call upon for consulting work. Well, my main point would be that making money is not evil, right? It's because what it actually does is it enables you to do a whole lot of things. So as a, for instance, you know, when we had this talk several years ago, there were a number of people that were like, you know what? I would love to be a full-time plugin developer. I would love for that to be the case, (laughs) But but the revenue stream just isn't there. And I'm not saying that these things alone would necessarily change that because there are, you know, there needs to be the the market share there as well. But I think if licenses were enforced, like if I wasn't getting emails from people that said, hey, the developer told me I didn't really need to buy this thing. Is that true? You know, there, there should be some way to enforce this in a stronger manner such that you really do need to buy these licenses in order for your site to operate. Now, I don't think that it should go down, but at the very least, maybe it shouldn't be able to go live, you know, until they're, they're bought or something, you know, I don't know what the solution is, but there should be stronger license enforcement. I think that it should be renewal by default for these things. And it should be super, super simple for clients to buy these licenses, even on production, or even if it's not through the site directly, if it's just, you know, some kind of a link that they can be given, maybe one magic link that they just click that has everything added
added to their cart that they need to buy. I think these yeah. three things would, would bring in more revenue. It'd be more revenue for Pixel and Tonic. It would be more revenue for plugin developers. And who knows, like a lot of the people here, maybe they would be able to devote more time to working on these plugins because a lot of people here, I think, really want to. Right, Lindsay? Yeah, let, me just, let me just jump in real quick because I love all these ideas. I love the Magic Link idea. I think that the licensing and all this stuff, like all these ideas of squeezing more money out of the existing system, they're all fantastic ideas. But let me just also say this. What Josh is talking about in terms of his income from the from plugin sales in contrast to what Andrew was talking about. His income from plugin sales are, they're very different. And Josh's is a lot closer to what most people are dealing with. I think that right. like there probably, is a, probably there well is a, over 90% of the well plugin over, developers will be, will be in my camp. 99%. There's a very small percentage of plugin developers who are capable of making a living off of plugins alone. And Josh's story is the baseline. That is the normal story. But I don't think it has to be. And I guess what I'm saying is I do, obviously the market share needs to be there, but I do also, I don't think of it as squeezing money out of the ecosystem. I think of it as taking, not leaving money on the table, which you know, anyone will tell you in business, if the money is on the table, like, don't just leave it there, you know, take it. I, I don't think it's magically going to transform someone who's making 500 a month to someone who's making 3000 a month to where they, they can justifiably devote a lot more time to it. But I bet you if Josh's plug-in sales doubled, he probably would devote more time. I would totally. Think. I'd, I'd just br- briefly on, on all of this, like, I'm not, I'm not naive in that I think I'm, I could probably squeeze more money out of Spoon as as a plugin. There's features I could put on it and it would bring more people in. I could be better at support and documentation. And I know that would bring more pe- people in, but I guess I guess my point is really my reluctance to do that is is the risk. The risk mm-hmm. of doing that and sinking what could be weeks or months of time into, right. into doing that versus what, sure. what might come back. Because, because the proven cases of what I would class as successful plugin developers in terms of... The they can make enough money to either make a living or make make a part-time living out of it like like Andrew this there's not many of them at all um we've got most of them here and and I think that that for me is 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 the big thing you know I've I've got at least two plugins in my back drawer that would do well and I and I, and I say that confidently having used them on existing sites or heard people talk about the need for that thing or seen what agencies regularly buy having worked in agencies and I and I know they do well and I think there's there's still just something in my gut that makes me fear getting into that because well if big picture wise it's going to be a wash over the course of a year. It means you're going to be in the red up front. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you're taking your current ROI and then just doubling or tripling it, and it's, <laughs> it hurts even more than if you hadn't released right. it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I think, yeah, that, that, that for me, it feels like it's still a, there's still an awkward leap unless you happen upon something incredibly popular that's popular quite suddenly. There's an awkward leap between where, where me and the common people sit. I think it mirrors entrepreneurship in general in that well, way. Yeah. I mean, and again, going back to just what I've learned is you, you just can't be romantic about it. Talking about talking about whether you could make a living being a plugin developer, you know, I think one in in a thousand ideas might be able to support a living as a plugin developer. But but you haven't even then got to would I even want to? Would, would I want my life to look like that? That that is my you know that's my job now. Is I am well, well true because it's 
a decision about whether or not you're you're building and selling a product as opposed to I guess what most people are doing. And I think as... people get excited about the idea of of passive income and I'm going to retire to the beach and uh, you know <laughs> my plugin's just going to sell itself. And this and... is what we assume Andrew's doing all the time. Oh yeah, I'm at the beach, right? I, He's just on Discord I... on the beach. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Please, I think he's so. going to spend six hours editing this podcast. So, yeah, yeah. But, but you know, you just you have to be you have to be really realistic. And and to your point, even if you have a plugin that that could do well, I, I mean, I think we you know everybody on this call probably has half a dozen in our pockets that are either half built or or a quarter built, or we've deployed them on our own sites and haven't dared to release them publicly or, you know, whatever it is. It's not just, could I make money off of this? You know, if I look at my life in, in 12 months or 24 months, even if this thing was successful, even if it was making money, would I want to add this to the list of things that I am beholden to? And most of the time, the answer for me is, is not anymore. Like I've, I've been there, done that. It bit me in the ass. And I, I messed it up royally and came back from it. And like, I'm so much more cautious now about what I put on the list of things that I'm beholden to. And I, and I have taken a lot of recent inspiration, actually, from the Laravel scene, and especially from, from folks like Frake, uh, I forget what company is, uh, Spotsy, that ha- what do they have, like 3,000 Laravel packages or something, and they're all open source, and two of them are commercial. And the rest of them are just out there, and the readme says... We built this because we use it. If you can use it, that's great. If you want to add a new feature, we're probably not interested because we're only interested in supporting stuff that we use. And they're super unromantic about it, super upfront about it. And they've been remarkably successful with that mentality. And, and you know, I, I take a lot of inspiration from that. I think on that, that's actually something that Andrew talked to me about quite a while ago, which is that actually, you know, if you've got something, and I should listen to this, if you've got something that, you know, you want the community to like engage with then just release it release it for free but again i i still like i mean i'm an extremely cautious person i still sort of go oh but then it's going to be support and i'm going to feel bad if i if i don't don't support those people but i guess one of the things that i'm sort of taking away from this is that there's an element of developing a thicker skin around all of that as well and going well look it's free and and having a stock response like you sort of said patrick you know can help help that become easier communicating that releasing it and saying this comes with zero support here's what i mean by zero support (laughs) enjoy (laughs) it but uh here are all the different ways to respond to your your situation so just know that before you play with it and and there will be lots of people that will read that on a readme and go well i don't want to use this plugin it's not supported Hmm. and that's great and that's yeah, great. Yeah, exactly. There are also that's- lots of people that will not read the README, just so you know. <laughs> that's something I run into more than more than not, is that a lot of I mean, we we all see this when we do support, is that people just aren't reading it. So I mean you can put that notice out there, they may or may not read it, but I still think, Josh, I still think it's better to release this kind of thing. Like release early, release often, iterate on things if you want. But yeah, like Matt said, make it clear. You know, that this is what it is and, you know, that's the way it goes. I don't know. There's there's a statistic. We were talking about all of this in terms of plug-in sales and the marketplace and, and making money there and everything. And there are some statistics that Brandon released in terms of sales that made it pretty clear that as a aggregate or as a whole, there there is a healthy 
plugin ecosystem for craft. I don't remember off the top of my head of what those figures were. If I find them after the fact, I'll link to them. But there was a healthy chunk of money that was coming, that was being distributed to plugin developers. And then also Pixel and Tonic is making their 20% cut. My main mantra is just do some of the low-hanging fruit like Patrick was talking about to make that ecosystem grow. And I'm not talking about squeezing the money out of it. I'm talking about not leaving money on the table, you know? Make it easy for people to pay for stuff. Like that should be a no-brainer. Make these licenses renew by default. That would be fantastic. Some kind of license enforcement in some form or another. So people aren't just installing these things and not paying for them because it's happening. Like it's definitely happening. On the flip side, one of the good things about being a plugin developer, even if most of my plugins are hidden in the craft system, is that nine times out of 10, you come across something and it needs to work slightly different in craft. And you ask Brandon and then he just does it. Yeah. it's not going to break anything or it or it's not out of you know if it's a reasonable request he just does it there and then like i i had that very experience the other week and he was just like oh yeah it's fine it'll be in the next release like he didn't even answer me before he'd written and committed the code and and that tells you that you should have confidence and because this thing thing is is thing i have confidence i have confidence in craft but that's what you want other if you want to if you want to be a successful seller of plugins you hopefully want to have people to have the same confidence in you that you have in Brandon. Now I realize that Brandon is freaking freaking nature. Like he's just amazing at what he does, but still, you know what I mean? Like you kind of, if you have that kind of confidence in them, you're more likely to, to buy their stuff. But Matt, you were going to, you're going to say something about my rant here. Yeah. I'm putting on the plugin developer hat. Just going to clarify that first. I think part, you kind of hit on it for me, which is that a smooth way of interaction with the the store is is part of the craft experience, and it's part of the experience that we as plugin developers don't have control over. Ideally, a, a client has money and is paying you pr- to provide a service to make their lives easier. And mm-hmm. the only time you should have to discuss the plugin store with a client is when their billing information needs to change and they need to update a credit card or something. Mm-hmm. It should be as smooth as possible because that is what you are providing them as a service, and that's what craft offers. And so the experience. With the store and how you use that with a client should reflect that as well. And I think that's there are lots of little points of friction that that are out of sync with. And I think it's not optimal now, but it's gotten way worse with the best practice of using project config and allow admin changes being off. Like it's actually become it's gone from being not great to being actually problematic. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna have to schedule a screen share, and we're just oh. gonna have to. Oh, like it's tough. I keep on forgetting Matt Stein that you work for Pixel and Tonic and that you work for the man now. <laughs> Good time to point that out, Patrick. Thank you. (laughs) Well, look, I mean, we could sit here and and beat the dead horse of frustrations with the plugin store all day. We've certainly given Brandon, who I'm sure is listening, enough of an earful. But we're coming up on on an hour and a half. I want to get... I want to get Gustav's in here, though. He's been he's been patiently waiting. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. I want to say that uh, maybe this problem with uh, allow, disallowing the admin changes and people not being able to purchase licenses in production could be solved by pre-generating license keys for plugins so that when mm. it goes to production, you could have this magic link, which I think Michael mentioned. Yep. And crap should phone home and check if the license is now purchased or not. So that would not require people to actually purchase a license, get it, and then put it inside inside of Craft. You'd have it already. And that's the smartest thing that's been said this whole time. Pixel I would say hire this guy, but Kelsey might get really <laughs> angry. 
Yeah, stay far away from him. He's no good. He's sad. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, just, just being me, guys, you know. Wait, does, this, this is a, like, I'm going to show my ignorance here. Does Craft not already generate a license key for plugins when you install them? No. No. Only for core. Because it does and craft. Then, then store them in Craft. I guess you could even use the UID of the plugin entry in the database. Yeah. I mean, there, there are lots of techniques that from a technical point of view, they could use to implement this. But really, the important thing is that they see it as a priority and as something that actually needs to be fixed, because I think it does, especially if we're if the more modern workflow that we're recommending to everybody is to use project config and disallow admin changes like it is. It is a problematic point of view, you know, at least from from my perspective. But I think that about wraps it up for another episode of the devmode.fm podcast. Make sure to subscribe. And if you enjoy the show, please write a review on iTunes, tell a friend or retweet this episode. We really do appreciate it. We'd also love to continue the conversation. Leave us a comment on devmode.fm or find us on Twitter at devmode.fm and definitely send tweets to at mildly geeky to tell him to fix this extra to make it shorter. For the devmode.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. I'm Patrick Harrington. I'm Matt Stein. I'm Michael Rogg. And I am just going to say thank you to everybody. So thank you, Fred, Lindsay, Ransom, Ben, Josh, Gustafs, Kelsey, and Josh Angle for coming on. Thanks, everybody. Well, thank you, guys. We had so many people. I wanted yeah. to do the best. I was, was going to like try to steer us back to a happy note for yeah. just a minute before we like cut it off. Hallelujah! Like, happiness is end, underrated. To, in the end, I had to leave my office to get dinner. <laughs> I, I, I was cooking dinner right before the show, and I I I didn't uh, make it. Uh, like I didn't. Uh, uh. I wasn't That's able hilarious. to eat it. Yeah. I so. mean, I, I, I assume someone might take like, you know, potty breaks, but dinner breaks, I didn't know that was happening, but that's, that's hilarious. All right. I had to in the end.